Welcome to the Wonder by the Word podcast, where we walk through the Bible chronologically in a year. I'm your host, Brittany Rust, and on this podcast, I break down our daily readings from the Wonder by the Word reading plan and community so that we can all have better theology and grow in our faith. In case you're just now finding us, the Wonder by the Word plan can be found on version or on my website. Wonder by the Word is sponsored by Truth and Grace Ministries. Learn more at BrittanyRust.com. Hello and welcome to day 13 of the Wondered by the Word reading plan and community. We are in Job chapters 29 through 32. If you remember last time we heard from Bildad, Job's friend, and it was the last speech from the three friends that we've seen a majority of this book. And then we saw Job's response along with a lament. Now, when we pick up in Job chapter 29 today, looking at Job 29 and 30, we see his lament continued. Job opens the chapter with words that, I mean, sort of rip at your heart when you really read it. He's longing for the days of old, the days when he was blessed. And he he says he had his children around him. When people respected and listened to him, he says in verse 25, I lived like a king among troops. Job is longing for those days that are now lost to him. He's longing for past days, then gives way to the grief of his current situation. He has fallen far from prior glory and favor and mourns his state of nothingness. He also laments those who laugh at him, who are mocking him. He's feeling tortured by the irony of it all. The sons of men whom Job would not even put with the dogs of his flock were now his mockers and critics. It's the fools he's referring to. He's he's saying that even fools laugh at him. But perhaps the most heartbreaking statement in chapter 30 is in verse 20. Job cries, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. And he continues in verse 21, you have turned cruel to me. And so on. He goes on with that thought for a couple of verses. And so while Job respects the Almighty, he feels his weariness and his hope deferred here. Job feels like God has forsaken him. The theologian Lawson observed of this. He wrote, as in our natural tendency, Job misinterprets God's silence as lack of concern and indifference. Job assumes that God's silence means God's God's displeasure. Honestly, I, I'm reading these verses of Job and I'm fighting back tears. Honestly, like I feel like it strikes a chord in me because I've wrestled with the same feeling a few times in my current season. It's it's that place where you feel like you have nothing left to give. Like you're at the end of the rope and you can't hold on any longer. It's where you cry out to God um, to step in because you have nothing left. I I know this so well. And honestly, like I'm getting a little emotional talking about it. But I mean, this is how Job feels and and perhaps you have or maybe you, you do right now. And if I can remind myself and remind you... God is about to show up. In the book, we know that God's about to show up on the scene, but yes, in our life as well. So let's maintain our posture of hope. 
it's honestly a little hard for me to transition from that into the next chapter. I'm, I'm wanting to pause and find, I suppose, to reflect on that and find a more um, appropriate way to transition. So maybe there's not a more appropriate transition. Let's just go into chapter 31, right? So in chapter 31, we see Job's final appeal of his innocence. He stands firm in how he has lived his life. And indeed, the chapter could be seen as how to live a godly life. One commentator by the name of Mason, he notes of this chapter as well. He notes, chapter 31 is Job's Sermon on the Mount, for in it he touches on many of the same issues of spiritual ethics that Jesus covers in Matthews chapter 5 and through 7, including the relationship between lust and adultery, loving one's neighbor as oneself, almsgiving and social justice, and the love of money and other idolatries. So when we take a look at Job chapter 31, again, it's, it, it's this reflection of, honestly, of how to live a godly life. And let's look at a few examples of this. So in verse 1, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Job had made a covenant with God to be careful where his eyes led, to avoid lust. And in that culture, it was appropriate for a man of position and wealth like Job to desire other women and eventually bring them in as an additional wife or concubine. So what he's doing here is he's actually rejecting the cultural norm and a commitment to God to walk in righteousness. We see another, um, he he also makes um, comment of that in verses 9 through 12, where he maintains his commitment to his wife. Another example we see is verse 5. He, he said, if I had walked with falsehood and my foot had hastened to deceit. So here he's maintaining his integrity to walk in truthfulness. Other examples include verses 13 through 15, where he tells us that he did not treat his servants wickedly. Verses 16 through 23, he tells us he did not take advantage of the poor or the weak. Verses 24 through 28, he was not greedy, nor did he seek false gods. This chapter serves as Job's final stand to his innocence. And in the final verses, it's his final plea to God. And that's where we end with Job in this dialogue between him and his friends. We're going to step into 32. And we're going to see a new voice on the scene. It's a man by the name of Elihu. We don't know much about him, but we do get a brief genealogy for him. And it's actually the most detailed genealogy that we get of the friends. We also know that he was younger than the rest of the men. And we know this because in verse four, he tells us so. And he tells us so because he's waiting to speak until the older men were exhausted in their words. Now, in that time, wisdom was identified with age, and Elihu was younger than the other four men. In fact, he makes mention that wisdom doesn't necessarily come with age, but rather from God, and he was correct in saying so. So Elihu, he proceeds to give the longest, actually, of the friend's speeches. It covers chapters 32 through 37. And initially, it makes mention that Elihu is angry with Job, but he saves that notion um, until he addresses Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sophar first. He's going he's gonna to address the friends first. And in verse 3, he tells us he burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer. 
Elihu was frustrated because Job's friends, he felt Job's friends didn't put Job in his place the way he thought that they should have, right? And what we're seeing here is we're seeing this sort of youthful expression come out in Elihu. We know that he's younger and we can see this sort of like eagerness, right? This sort of zeal coming out of him. I can tell you my 20s, I had a whole lot of zeal. And I was also very um, giving of my opinion. And this sort of like even at injustice, you could feel yourself rising up to, to, to make a stand. And we see that in Eli, Elihu. He shows actually some of the strengths and weaknesses of his youth here that, you know, despite his anger and wordy lecturing style, Elihu never got bitter as Bildad and Zophar. So, I mean, he's very zealous and he sort of lets the anger brew a little bit. But he also doesn't allow himself to get bitter as, you know, some of the other people did. So that's where we stop. We are going to see Elihu continue on through into the next several chapters. Uh, but tomorrow is actually our catch-up day. So we're not going to be having an episode. Do not come here. There will not be an episode tomorrow. Tomorrow's your catch-up day to, if you fell behind on your reading, make the most use of tomorrow to be able to catch up. So we're going, to come, we're going to come back the day after to day 15 of the plan. And so next week, we'll wrap up Elihu's speech. We're going to take a look at God's response. So God steps in and makes a response. And then after we wrap up Job, we're going to actually hop back over to Genesis next week, and we're going to start our exploration of the patriarchal history. I'll see you then. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to Wondered by the Word. We are so grateful that you are here and I really pray that this episode left you with nuggets of wisdom, that you learned something new, maybe it challenged you, but ultimately that it encouraged you and inspired you to dive even deeper into the richness of scripture. If the Ministry of Truth and Grace or Wonder by the Word, the reading plan, the episode, all the resources have impacted you in any way, would you please mind leaving a review, um, sharing this podcast with your friends, all of those little pieces of sharing and encouragement from your part go a long way to help the podcast get into further hands around the world so people can dive into scripture, engage with scripture on a more regular basis. You can also find us on Patreon, which would be a huge benefit to the ministry. And we just thank you so much for being a supporter. We'll see you next time.